Today on Blue 58, the Packers have been much improved over the past month, and a big part of that improvement has come from guys who have previously been pretty polarizing. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I'm happy to be with you here for another episode. Packers making roster moves this week. They've claimed cornerback David Long on waivers. 5'10", about 200 pounds. 2019 third-round pick by the Los Angeles Rams. Been on a bit of a journey throughout the calendar year of 2023. He signed a one-year deal with the Raiders earlier this spring, was waived, then was claimed by the Panthers, and then was subsequently waived by the Panthers last Saturday. Then the Packers claimed him. Pretty experienced guy, 1,200-plus career snaps on defense, more than 500 snaps on special teams. So far this season, he's played 190 snaps on defense and 39 on special teams between both the Raiders and the Panthers. You get the resume there. The question mark for me, well, it's a fairly big question mark for me, honestly, is what are the Packers looking for in this move? Typically, when they make a move like this, they're looking for for longer-term upside. For instance, uh, Caillou Blue Kelly and Robert Rochelle seem to be a little little bit more of long-term prospects. Kelly, in particular, when he was waived, the Packers claim him and they get to take over his rookie contract at that point. You have control over him for longer. With uh, with a guy like Long, he's just a one-year guy. He's on a one-year contract, so he'll be a free agent after the season. I don't know what the exact the plan is there. Usually at this point in the season, the Packers are looking for those guys that have some longer-term upside, either with practice squad signings or you know late-season additions to the roster. Maybe this is more of an extended tryout to see if they can keep him around after the season. Maybe you're just hoping for a little bit more than either Kelly or Rochelle could give you. If you're looking at Robert Rochelle, you're probably looking for a guy who can give you a little bit more on defense. Long seems to fit that profile specifically. If you're looking for just more in general, well, Kelly's only played five snaps for the Packers since he's arrived. I think he's ahead of Kelly for sure on the depth chart right now. We'll figure out exactly what happens when the Packers make corresponding roster moves after all of this is official. But it seems like I would put him about ahead of Kelly for sure. So We'll see what happens, but the Packers making another roster addition this week. Also wanted to check in on the Packers' top overall draft pick uh, since he passed a significant milestone very recently, over the past 10 days or so. Lucas Van Ness, uh, just as kind of a, a brief aside here before we get into our main topics of the day, but Lucas Van Ness now has more snaps as a rookie than Rashawn Gary did back in 2019. And I think that that comparison is important because he's kind of the second version of what Gary was as a draft pick. Both of them athletic marvels. I mean, Rashawn Gary put up testing numbers like we have rarely seen for a guy his size. Lucas Van Ness, you don't really need to look farther than what his nickname is. People called him Hercules in college and still do to this day. He looks like it. He looks like he was carved more than that he developed as a like just a young man. He just looks the part of an NFL football player. Big, strong, athletic, moves in space, does all the same things. Yet for both Gary and Van Ness, you could question their production. Rashawn Gary was not an overwhelmingly productive player in college. We've sliced that discussion about every imaginable way since he was drafted in 2019. Obviously, he's put those concerns behind him. He's been remarkably productive this year and has trended up just about every year since the Packers took him. Van Ness, meanwhile, had a pretty short college career as these things go. And as an edge rusher, he's very underdeveloped to this point. And in fact, 
very different sort of development than the Packers typically use their edge rushers for. He was not much of a stand-up guy in college, didn't do it a whole lot until his final season in Iowa. But now he's being asked to develop into more of a stand-up edge rusher in the pros. So far this season, he's got two sacks, six tackles for loss, six quarterback hits, and a pressure rate of just a fuzz under 8%. 7.97% has been trending up lately. And just for comparison, for the entire season, Rashawn Gary, as a rookie, two sacks, three tackles for loss, three quarterback hits, and a pressure rate of about 10.5%, 10.53% to be exact. I think it's worth comparing these guys because of you know, both where they were taken, the kind of player they were in college and now are being expected to be in the pros, and just to overall talk about expectations in general. There are certain expectations that I think come from the fan base when you are the 12th pick or the 13th pick in the draft, or just a first-round pick in general, if we want to broaden the scope out to talk about Jordan Love in here too. And those expectations are, in a sense, fair. When you are the first selection for your team in the draft, you are being taken ahead of a bunch of different guys. And when you're going ahead of a whole bunch of guys, like Gary and Van Ness did, the weight of those comparisons and their, you know, associated expectations is going to be enormous. And that is fair. There is opportunity cost with every draft pick, and the opportunity cost is highest for guys taken at the top of the draft. But I think the long-term lesson here with Jordan Love, with guys like Rashawn Gary, with guys perhaps like Lucas Van Ness, is that the Packers are willing to do things differently. And I think this has been a bit of an emerging trend, especially over the past few seasons at all levels of the roster. The Packers are sending the message that they are willing to wait. They're willing to wait for guys to take a chance and develop. We saw it last year with guys like Rasheed Walker and Caleb Jones. They just sat on the roster all last season and were not expected to do anything. They didn't really ever get into a game. They were just around all year, and the Packers burnt roster spots on those guys. Jonathan Ford, too, has sat around for a year and a half, almost two full seasons now. They've just had these guys around, either on the 53-man roster or on the practice squad. Brenton Cox, another example. The Packers are willing to stash guys, not even play them, not even have them active on game day, and hope that they will turn into something, and they'll do it with their, their high draft picks, they'll do it with their low draft picks, they'll do it with undrafted free agents. They're willing to wait on guys. We can talk about whether or not that's a good idea, how long you should wait for guys, whether or not you're really maximizing the window on you know when you have these guys under salary control and, and things like that before you really have to start paying market rates. Justice Mosqueda of the Ackman Packing Company podcast has done a lot of work on that. He brings it up often, and I think it's a really fair point because if you look in the case of Rashawn Gary, he wasn't really a full-time starter until his third season. He has his third season, his fourth season, then boom, you're in contract extensionville. You have to start paying high-end edge rusher money because that's what he's developed into, even though you didn't get value production out of him for basically two-thirds to three-quarters of his rookie contract. If it works out, that's a good way to do things. If it doesn't work out, well, you've wasted a lot of time on guys that you never ended up playing at all when you could have had somebody else. It's part of the conversation. The comparisons are important, and I think we just have to keep in mind that the Packers are willing to wait and do things a little bit differently. Speaking of being willing to wait, I want to renew our conversation about Romeo Dobbs because he's been one of the more intriguing players on the Packers this season 
specifically because he, like a lot of guys in the 2023 Packers, was not very good early in the season. But I am fascinated by Romeo Dobbs as a player for a few different reasons. First, I find that he has a very interesting athletic profile. And I'm not talking numbers because I feel like he's generally athletic in the way that a lot of NFL receivers are. You just look at him on the field. He is reasonably fast, as you would expect for an NFL receiver. Compared to a normal person, he's blindingly fast. He is sleek in and out of his cuts. He moves well on the field. And yet he's different in some ways too. He's not big in the way that comparably sized wide receivers are, which is a weird thing to say, but look at the comparisons on the Packers roster. Dobbs, at least according to the official roster listings, is six foot two and 204 pounds. You look at those numbers and you say, okay, pretty big wide receiver, not necessarily like heavy, not bulky, but a bigger guy. Six foot two is pretty tall. 204 pounds is not heavy, but not light either. We're not talking about somebody like, say, Robbie Anderson here, not a really twiggy receiver, Trevor Davis, somebody like that. Dobbs, 6'2", 204 pounds. But look at Duntavian Wicks, 6'1", 206 pounds. Or Malik Heath, 6'2", 213 pounds. Now, he's nine pounds lighter by list weight than Heath, but only two pounds smaller than Wicks. And yet, I would say he feels significantly smaller than both of those guys. Wicks and Heath, both big, rugged receivers. They fit the mold of, you know, I think what Matt LaFleur would call a goon. Heath even more than Wicks, uh, but both of them big-bodied, strong, physical receivers. But I would say Dobbs, and this gets pretty squishy here, but he feels smaller than both of those guys. He moves differently, for sure. Definitely a finesse-type player when you talk about Romeo Dobbs, which I think is interesting because football is not really a finesse game at any kind of position. You got, you have guys that are more technical players than just brute strength players. David Bakhtiari is, I think, a classic example for the Packers. He's never really been a guy who gets by with just overpowering strength. He's all about technique and positioning, movement skills, moving in space. At the, the peak of his powers, 2020 season, the Packers used him on some crazy stuff out in space as a lead blocker, as a tackle on the edge, basically pulling a tackle, which is something you just don't see all that often. But I think Dobbs is a different kind of player in that respect in that he really just is not not a contact guy. He is more a, wants to move around people than through them or, or body people up as a blocker. He certainly gives effort as a blocker, I think, but it's not the strength of his game and just Strength in general is not necessarily the strength of his game. If you told me that Dobbs was an elite track athlete, I'd buy that. He looks like an elite middle distance runner. I was actually poking around on his high school stuff. was actually a sprinter in high school where it ran the 100 and 200, as you'd expect most high school, you know, like football athletes who play a position like Dobbs does and did, will do some, you know, do some sprinting because you're just a big, fast dude and you can run pretty fast. And Dobbs was pretty fast in high school and doing some track stuff. He's also fascinating to me because many of the criticisms of Dobbs are accurate. Probably the the best example of Dobbs' criticism comes from Paul Noonan of Acme Packing Company. He wrote a, a really, I don't want to say scathing criticism of Romeo Dobbs because I don't think it was intended like that. I don't think he was trying to be mean. But it's one of those pieces that just comes across as not attacking but just like, hard to read because it's a list of just body blow facts. All of the assessments of Dobbs from a statistical perspective relative to a bunch of other guys. 
at the time when Paul wrote it, Dobbs was not playing efficient football, had very low yards per catch despite his target volume compared to other receivers on the Packers and throughout the league. He was not reliably successful. We talked about success rate on this podcast a couple episodes back. In terms of getting the yards that you need on a given down and distance, Dobbs was not good at doing that. He did not get down the field in when he was getting the ball in the way that would be considered successful by that metric. And again, he was not even especially productive relative to other Packers receivers, so it's not like everybody was struggling and Dobbs was just one of many. He was putting up worse stats at the time, even compared to other Packers receivers. And yet, I can't let go of Dobbs because despite all those things being true then, I have always felt like he's been in a bigger role than he has been supposed to be. So we talked earlier this season about the potential danger of getting into the no true Jordan Love evaluation sort of situation, our our own personal version of the no true Scotsman fallacy, where you can never say like, or you could always be moving the goalpost saying, finding ways to say like, well, we, we really haven't gotten a true and accurate look at what Jordan Love can be because of this, that, and the other thing. The Packers were so injured early on. The guys that were healthy were not playing well. And the guys even that were playing relatively well were really only playing well when you said that they were, you know, day two rookies or or stuff like that. They were playing well for rookies, but still not well enough that you felt like you had a, a reliable NFL offense operating around Jordan Love. That's since changed. But I think a lot of that is true, has been true of Romeo Dobbs for his career to this point. Early in 2022, He's supposed to be at best wide receiver three or four, probably wide receiver four, because you've got Alan Lazard, you've got Sammy Watkins, you've got Christian Watson, and then Romeo Dobbs is supposed to be there. And yet, and yet, everybody's hurt. Early in the season, Dobbs ends up being practically the Packers' top receiver or maybe second receiver, depending how you count Sammy Watkins, because both Watson and Lazard are hurt. Then he gets hurt. Uh, Dobbs, that is. And then when he comes back, he's still basically just a rookie because he missed more than a month in the middle of his rookie season. By the end of the year, he's a non-factor in the Packers offense just because there's, you can't do anything with him because he's never had a chance to really get his feet under him. Early in this season, I think you could make the case that he's basically had the same deal. Christian, uh, Christian Watson is hurt. Everybody else, literally everybody else other than Samori Ture is a rookie. Jaden Reed, Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft. Everybody else you're going to count on as a receiver is a rookie. Dontavian Wicks, uh, Malik Heath, throw a body out there. Other than Dobbs and Watson, they're all rookies. And Ture, but Ture has fallen off the face of the earth um, and is currently getting healthy scratches behind an undrafted rookie free agent. All that to say that Dobbs has really never gotten to have anything resembling a normal developmental curve. He's just been... Basically, since they took him as a day three pick in 2022, gotten handed a big role. He's like the anti-Love, where Love is this high-end draft pick who the Packers traded up to get and then let him sit, mothballed him for three years, essentially, and then brought him out in 2023 and said, okay, here you go. Use everything we've had a chance to teach you. Dobbs has had to be in a pretty big role since day one. And it's not an apples-to-apples comparison because wide receiver is markedly different than quarterback, I think, as we all understand. But there still is a time where you kind of need to get your feet feet wet as a young receiver, and Dobbs has had to be thrown into the deep end from the get-go. And that is why it's encouraging to see him playing well as other players have stepped up. 
if the idea is that Romeo Dobbs needs other players around him to be his best or to be their best so he can play better, you kind of have gotten the rising tide carrying all boats situation as the rest of the Packers offense has improved because other pass catchers playing better has carried Romeo Dobbs too. I think without diving too far into the exact numbers on who has, has played better, over the past month plus, five weeks, let's say five weeks, since that's where all the stats that I'm about to tell you have come from, over the fa- past five weeks, it feels like everybody in the Packers offense has taken a step forward. Jaden Reed has unlocked a new level of his, his game. Christian Watson has regained some of the form that we saw from him in 2022. Dontavian Wicks has really consistently emerged. Luke Musgrave really started to find his footing in that stretch before he got hurt. Dontavian Wicks, I don't know if I mentioned him already, has, has started to be a bigger performer. Tucker Kraft uh, has has gotten into a bigger role here as well. Even Malik Heath has started to play better and play more and get more opportunities as a result. And along with all those things, I think Jordan Love is playing better too, but Romeo Dobbs has also improved. If you're worried about his low catch rate, if you're worried about his low yards per catch, if you're worried about his low yards per target, all of those things have improved over the past five weeks. In that span, he's got 18 of his 23 targets. That's a catch rate of 78.3%. He's averaged 12.72 yards per catch over the past five weeks, which is a full yard higher than his season average and two yards higher than what he'd been averaging through to the season, through the season to that point. And he's up to 9.96 yards per target in that five-week stretch, which is up from 5.41 per target over the season to that point. And for good measure, he's also got four of five contested catches in that span as well, significantly higher than the five of 13 rate he was at prior to that, uh, that mark. If those averages held for the entire season, he would rank second on the team in catch rate among guys with at least 20 targets. He'd rank fourth on the team in yards per catch among guys with at least 20 catches, which I think is about exactly where you'd want him to be, kind of that mid-range receiver. And then he'd rank second on the team in yards per target, nearly two full yards higher than both Christian Watson and Jaden Reed, who are both currently tied at eight yards per target for the season. Suffice it to say, I feel like we're getting a better look at what Romeo Dobbs can be as a player because he's gotten the opportunity to be probably what he was always supposed to be, a more complimentary piece. And I think that, along with the patience aspect, is something we should remember as we evaluate players. The role that you're playing and what you're being asked to do matters a lot. Romeo Dobbs was being asked to do different things before, and the players around him weren't helping him do those things. Now he's being asked to do different stuff. The other guys are playing better around him, and he is performing better as a result, too. Speaking of playing better, the Packers' defense. And the Packers' defense, if you're going to talk about the Packers' defense, necessitates a conversation about Joe Barry. I don't know if you'd call this a hot take, maybe not even a spicy take, but I think we need to start getting used to the idea that Joe Barry is going to be back in Green Bay next year. I know there's a lot of season left, and a lot of things can change, but I would say signs are pointing in that direction at this point. Consider, the Packers are currently ninth in scoring defense, up from 17th last year. They've also been playing their best defense in their biggest games over the past five weeks, so you look at that span where we talked about the Packers playing better, the Packers' defense has improved or played just as well in that stretch, I think, as the Packers' offense. Over the past five weeks, they've averaged 17.4 points allowed per game. 
never allowed more than 23 points in that stretch, and they've held their opponents to 20 or fewer points three different times. If you want to say the quarterbacks they played in that stretch were not particularly good, citing guys like Brett Rippon, who is now on his second team since the Packers played the Rams. He was on the Seahawks practice squad, and now he's he has been signed to the Jets' active roster. That's fair. Uh, pointing out that they also played Kenny Pickett in that stretch too. You can talk about the quality of those quarterbacks not being very good, but then you also have to reckon with the fact that they played Justin Herbert and Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes, and maybe they didn't shut those guys down per se, but they stopped them from scoring enough points to win the game, which is the ultimate goal here. They've also done all this and everything they've done for the entire season, basically, without a lot of the big names on this defense that you would expect to help bolster them, especially in the secondary. Jair Alexander has been out of the lineup as much as he's been in it. Darnell Savage has been gone for most of their improved run here. Rasul Douglas was traded in late October. They haven't gotten a single snap on defense from Eric Stokes, who lasted all of four snaps in his return from the physically unable to perform list before he had to go back there. All four of those snaps coming on special teams. And then you've got a, a bunch of young and inexperienced guys filling in those spots. We'll talk more about that in a second. Devondre Campbell's also been banged up this year. Quay Walker's been banged up this year. There's been a lot of injuries that Joe Barry and the Packers defense have had to deal with. You've also seen improvement from a lot of guys. We've talked about this on a recent episode. Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, all playing better this year than they did last year. Even though Rashawn Gary was playing very well last year, he's even better this year. Kenny Clark has improved over the course of the season. Preston Smith is putting up better numbers than he did last season. The Packers defense has also gotten good performances from a lot of young guys that really haven't played big roles before or really to this point played in the NFL at all before. Carrington Valentine, a day three rookie, late day three rookie, is playing like an NFL starter. Sure, there's some lumps in there. Sure, it's not always perfect, but man, he has played about as well, I think, as you could expect. Corey Ballantine gives you everything he's got every week. Not all of it's good, but he's out there, and the Packers have been able to hide him most of the time. Rudy Ford empties the clip for you every single week. He may not be a star, may never be a star, but he's not a net negative for the defense. Anthony Johnson coming along as a rookie. Carl Brooks coming along as a rookie. All of these guys have either stepped into bigger roles or earned bigger roles just because they've played well over the course of this year. And I think you do have to give Barry and the defensive staff some credit for that. They've developed and improved a lot of guys on this roster, and it has resulted in some great success. So if Joe Barry is sitting down with Matt LaFleur, he can say, kind of like we said back when we did the the tear-it-down discussion, if things went really sideways for the Packers this year and they decided that they wanted to, to tear everything down, Joe Barry could confidently sit, whether it's with Matt LaFleur, with Brian Gutekunst, with anybody, and say, look, I know it's not always pretty. I know we still get gashed in the run game sometimes. I know that sometimes we have guys out of position or we're doing weird things or this, that, and the other thing. But I'm stopping them from scoring, and we're doing it with half a deck. Uh, we've talked about the talent that you know I've been given on this side of the ball. Well, a lot of the talent isn't playing. Jair Alexander, for whatever he, wherever you rank him as one of the the top corners in the game. He's he's not out there a lot. Eric Stokes, this first-round pick from two years ago, is not out there a lot. Rasul Douglas, you signed him to a free agent deal. Well, he's gone. Devondre Campbell, 
You signed him to a big free agent deal. He's been out of the lineup pretty much about as much as he's been in it. You've given me, quote unquote, all this talent. It's not playing. We're still getting pretty good results. If you're looking for me to to say, you know, I could be better, sure. But everybody can be better. And I feel like we've gotten enough, good enough results that we could win a lot of football games. And by the way, we have. In part because my defense is stopping a lot of people from scoring. Does that mean it's a good idea? I don't know. Could you do worse than Joe Barry? Well, there's a lot of teams that are having worse defensive performances than the Packers this year. And I don't mean this as like a Barry apologist or even like a big fan of Joe Barry. I just think we got to get used to the idea that he might be back next year. And if he's sitting there making the case, I think he's got a pretty strong case too. Kind of funny, isn't it? Things can change a lot. And and sometimes things start breaking your way and the whole conversation around your football team starts to change a little bit. You start making very different plans for 2024 than 2023. Now, are the things that Joe Barry and the Packers defense that they've improved on, are they sustainable? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. I've always said that maintaining a a strong defense is, is pretty hard to do. Year to year, just because of how many guys it takes to be successful on defense, you got to have a lot of guys playing at a really high level to maintain defensive success. And it's a lot easier to find weak links on a defense than it is to find them on an offense and attack and exploit them. But if the Packers have a bunch of draft picks next year, if they start getting more salary cap capital available, both next year and especially in 2025, who's to say that things couldn't be even better. It's always easy to sit there and say, well, things could get worse. Where the Packers are standing, things could also get better too. And things have been pretty, pretty good on defense for a lot of this season. Just something to think about. And if you're really opposed to the idea of Joe Barry, maybe just a heads up that things may be headed towards something you will like even less in 2024 if things continue to hold as they are right now. So I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.